every Arizona homeowner's best friend for 30 years. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the House. Giddy up. Let's get her going this morning. Well, I'm along. Come along, ride with me. Let's have us. One great Arizona Saturday morning. Here it comes, here it comes. I'm happy and I'm free. <laughs> Woohoo! Come on in, y'all. Let's have us one fine high time at Rosie's house this gorgeous June 23rd of the year 2018. Summer solstice is behind us now. You can wake up every single morning with the positive outlook that every day for the next six months is going to get shorter and shorter and shorter. Or next three months. So you can enjoy it and know, yes, winter is coming. It's a coming, baby. It's a coming. So we will make it through this season. We were talking before the program with my producer, Gary, he says, yeah, it's national weather still saying monsoon looks like it's going to be wetter than average. So we'll take that. May even have an El Nino impact coming in this winter. A little more moisture than that, which we desperately need. Since August, we have registered one inch of rain. That's 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 almost that's 10 months folks 10 months one inch of rain and i know we live in the desert but that's extreme that hurts yeah that really hurts and it hurts when you're out there driving now uh romy is uh, not with us today he loaded up uh the kids the dogs the quads uh i don't know if he loaded up a couple horses or what but i mean when he goes camping He's got everything. It's like it's like a village he takes and gets set up. <laughs> and he, he found a spot somewhere south of Big Lake and uh, says he's all set up. I don't think they can have a fire, but he's set up. He's enjoying the Arizona night skies and the pines during the day right there at the edge of the burn of the wallow fire where the aspens are coming back and the ponderosa pines are still surviving. So Romy's on a camping trip this weekend with all the kids surely envious of that jennifer is out today so i'm like in the studio alone this hasn't happened in a while i mean the radio station i mean in in 30 years of doing this uh they usually don't let me in here by myself is there something in the past i don't know about Golly. <laughs> well gary you've been in local broadcasting here in phoenix for how long uh two decades yeah yeah I mean, I started with, with a woman named Jamie McFerrin. Jamie Jamie was my host. I was the co-host. She'd field the calls and press all the right buttons. We went from Jamie to Charles Goyette, and Charles and I oh, did the show. Oh, a blast from the past. Yeah, Charles and I did the show for a while. But I am in the studio alone, so it's just me and Garrett and you, the Arizona homeowner. I'm glad you're tuned in this morning. 
when I've got the show, when I've got full controls, you can be rest assured of one thing. We're going to have us some fun, Joe. Oh, pass a good time? Oh, we're going to pass us a good time the next few hours. Uh, you, me. You're not going to want to miss one single minute of it. And we're going to start the show with a special guest that we've invited in. Now, we have had a dragnet out. We have been we have been dragging the depths of the ocean and the heights of the universe. We've been broadcasting it everywhere. We want an astrophysicist. We want an astrophysicist. And we found two. And we found one that we got to join us today, Mike Wiesner. Mike, good morning. Good morning, Rosie. Thank you for inviting me. We're talking to Mike Wiesner. He is the chair of the Oracle State Park Dark Skies Committee. He is a retired fighter pilot, and he is a graduated astrophysicist. Now, that's a life. Mike, I can't thank you enough for joining us. You, you missed one thing. I'm still a little kid. So. And, a, and a little kid at heart. Well, I can't. I, I really appreciate you joining us, and we wanted to talk a little bit about the International Dark Sky Program, particularly how you have been able to introduce in the state parks and what that might mean to some of our listeners in getting out and visiting some of these great spots and what they might find, see, and get uh, involved in. Absolutely. Um, well, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, when I was a little kid, like six years old, living in southern Indiana, uh, one of my older brothers would take me out in the backyard and show me the night sky and, and you know tell me what all these constellations were and the planets. And I fell in love with astronomy at six years old, fell in love with the night sky. I got a telescope for a Christmas present in 1961. Uh, as you mentioned, I got degreed in astrophysics. As it turned out, I never used that astrophysics <laughs> degree professionally. I, I, had, I, I, had in, to, I had to look that. I looked up careers in astrophysics. It, uh, do, you, do you want to change your uh, major here, uh, Rosie, and uh, go off and pursue a new career? I don't know. I don't know, Mike, if I'm smart enough to figure all that out. But I just thought, what do you do with that degree? So what what did you well, do? Well, I ended up in, in Air Force ROTC, um, got my commission, uh, and I became an Air Force jet fighter pilot. I actually did my training at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base back in the 70s. Uh, on a jet fighter that was in the service then, and I had a blast, uh, you know, flying jet fighters. Uh, there were no shooting wars going on at the time, so nobody was shooting back at me at the time. Uh, but then after I got well, my last assignment in the Air Force, I was actually working on the Air Force's space shuttle program when they were going to launch NASA space shuttles from an Air Force base in California. Uh, and so that was a great assignment. And then I went to work for a major aerospace company in California and did that for a, a couple of decades. And when they gave me a chance to early retire, uh, the wife and I had already bought our land up in Oracle. So it was goodbye, Southern California. Hello, Arizona. Wow. And um, so when we got moved out here, uh, got our house built, got my observatory built here in Oracle in 2009, I very quickly discovered how wonderful the night sky was here. And over a period of a few years, I finally decided that, hey, you know, we need to get the word out about you know, protecting the night sky. And we've got a state park right here in Oracle, Oracle State Park. 
Um, maybe there's a way that we can get Oregon State Park designated as an international dark sky park. So I approached the International Dark Sky Association, who is actually headquartered in Tucson, who are also celebrating 30 years of existence. Um, and um, I said, hey, you know, we got a park here. I know how dark the skies are. We talked to the Arizona State Parks people, and everybody said, yeah, let's try to make the park an International Dark Sky Park. So we formed this Oracle Dark Skies Committee in uh, April of 2014. And by the end of June, we submitted the application to the International Dark Sky Association to have the park designated. Uh, their pro they have a very long um, process that has to be gone through. There's a whole set of criteria that has to be met about dark skies, public outreach, about the effects of light pollution, and we'll come back to that later. Um, and you, know, you have to have star parties, but education is a really big part of the whole program. And so we put together uh, the whole package, submitted it to the International Dark Sky Association. They went through all their processes. And in the fall of 2014, Arizona State uh, Park, Oregon State Park, was designated as an international dark sky park. Became the first park in the Arizona State Park system to actually get that designation. The um, what since then, what? You know, we've had lots of star parties. Yeah. We have a star party coming up next Saturday at the park. What? And let me quickly mention about that so I don't forget it. Uh, Oregon State Park, um, like I said, we have star parties about every three months or so. And we have this one coming up on Saturday, the 30th of June. There's a special thing going on before the star party kicks off that evening. We're actually raffling off two telescopes that have been donated to the park. Uh, one's a sort of a low-end telescope, and the other one is a very nice high-end telescope. Um, it's uh, still a current model. It's being sold by the manufacturer. Uh, so it's a really, really nice system. So we're raffling off these two telescopes. Tickets will be available at the park anytime they're open now. Uh, tickets will be available that day at the park, and then the drawing will be at 6 p.m. The star party will kick off with a bunch of telescopes set up after sunset. So it uh, should be a really nice event. We're open for good weather with hopefully the monsoons will stay away for another week. How many how many people anyway, can you all so, accommodate at a, at a star party like that in Oracle? I mean, can you accommodate well, 30, 40, 50, 100? Well, let me give you a little bit of history because this is rather fascinating. When I approached uh, the, the Arizona State Park management people and about this concept of becoming an international dark sky park, of course, the question was, well, what's the benefit to me uh, as a commercial you know, uh, public uh, venue for people to come and visit? And I said, well, hey, you know, this was 2014. I said, well, you know, parks that have gotten this designation around the world, because it's an international program, they have seen an increase in their visitorship because people want to come out and visit uh, places where they can actually see the stars, where they can actually see the Milky Way. They want to come out and look through telescopes. People have this connection to the night sky. Uh, if you live in the light-polluted cities like New York City or Los Angeles, uh, even Phoenix, yeah. Um, then, yeah, you want to get out away from those lights and, and to really appreciate the night sky. So I said, you're going to see an increase in visitorship. And management kind of said, well, yeah, we'll believe it when we see it. Oregon State Park, like I said, had had many star parties over the years that it's been open. And typically, the attendance would be 50 to 60 people. Okay. Well, in June of 2000, 
14, we had a, a star party. It was kind of the public unveiling that we were pursuing the Star Sky Park designation. And we knew we had a problem when the uh, ranger at the gate called and said, I need more help. They're backing up onto the highway wow. um, coming into the park. We had 360 people show up for that star party that evening. That's fantastic. Six times the normal attendance. Fantastic. <laughs> We're here with Mike Wiesner, the chair of the Oracle Dark Skies Committee, talking about what you might see at a dark sky party they've got scheduled next week. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. This could be a great party. We've thrown the doors wide open here this morning on my front patio. It's Rosie's house. I want you all to come on in, pour yourself a cup of coffee, and get real comfortable. We're visiting with special guest Michael Wiesner, the chair of the Oracle Dark Skies Committee, and we're just prepared, getting ready to pique your interest. We've talked about the popularity of the star parties at the different state parks. Well, they're getting ready to chair one next weekend. Mike, there's one thing to get to a designated dark sky location, but there's, there's something else about getting there with educated people that can tell you what you're seeing. Absolutely. And when we have these star parties, we have some uh, a couple of the local astronomy clubs out of Tucson and the Saddlebrook community uh, come with their telescope. And their members um, are very knowledgeable about the night sky. Uh, we, we've had talks by some of the members where they talk about uh, the Native American cultural connection to the night sky, the constellations uh, you know, the, that hundreds and thousands of years ago the Native Americans saw in the, in the night sky, and how they used the night sky for agricultural planning, uh, for religious planning, uh, religious services. Um, and so, as I mentioned earlier, there's this connection that we as humans have to this night sky. And it's been there for you know thousands of years. And, and that's something that people really do want to come out and appreciate. So we have these experts who tell them what they're seeing in the telescope, what they're if they're just looking up into the sky with their eyes, you know, what they're actually seeing and why it's important that they're being able to see that. That that would just be huge. I I, I learned uh, about eight or nine years ago to kind of kind of cheat since I don't know a lot. I just downloaded this app called Skyview Light, and you point your smartphone into the sky, and it tells you which constellations you're seeing. And then I bought a book, Almanac of Constellations, and it tells you all about what you're looking at and kind of the the role that constellation has played in society, human civilization over the eons. It's just, I, I usually I'm in bed pretty early, but boy, I get that going and me, me and the kids and the grandkids, we just stay up almost all night. It's fantastic. The, the history of the night sky is just a fascinating topic. Um, like I say, going all the way back to the Native Americans, or in the Middle East, or in China, uh, there, there's just so much that over you know the centuries that people have understood to some level, you know, about what was going on in the night sky. You think about um, you know thousands of years ago, people were looking up in the night sky and they saw some of the stars were moving around, and those were the the planets that were visible to the eye. 
and they figured out what was going on with those. So, yeah, humans are pretty smart. Oh, mercy. Well, you were mentioning when you first got interested in space, and I think we probably, but by the sound of it, are probably close to the pretty same age. I mean, my first experience in, in, in getting infatuated with space was my first grade teacher in the early 60s, and Russia had launched Sputnik 1, and, and it, it just consumed Mrs. Preg that we were playing catch-up to the Russians. And then when JF and then when JFK announced we're going to the moon, you would have thought he had come to Welch, Louisiana Elementary School and coordinated this woman. I mean, she just she I think she, I think she levitated in class. It was absolutely unbelievable. She says, "We're going to the moon." <laughs> well, you know, and I and I grew up watching, you know, Rocky Jones, the uh, you know, Space Patrol and things like that on TV back in the 50s. Uh, as well as a Lone Ranger and, and you know Wild Bill Hickok and all those kinds of shows, the cowboy shows. But I was really interested in all the space stuff, partly because of my older brother getting me interested. And so yeah, when Sputnik launched, we're out in the backyard, you know, looking. We had the, the times that were published in the local newspapers, and we'd be out there trying to watch it. Of course, as it turned out, when we were out there thinking we're just actually seeing the Sputnik satellite, we were not seeing the satellite itself. Because it was too small and, and too faint to see with the eye, we were actually seeing the rocket, the Russian rocket booster that launched it. <laughs> oh, now, now, the... yeah, you're right. When when President Kennedy said, "Hey, we're going to go to the moon," you know, we've been launching the astronauts, both us and Russia. Um, you know, that was a really big deal. That was, and a then huge we forgot deal. how to do it, but <laughs> after we got there, <laughs> and then and then didn't the Russians put a dog on Sputnik too? I can't remember yeah, that. They had a dog-like, I believe the name was, uh, which, you know, did not survive. Um, but, you know, that's what they did. When I was a kid, I, I got these little model rockets from a company that made them, which is actually still in business. Estes, Estes Rockets. And I would launch spiders. Oh. I would launch spiders. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a break for bottom of our news, but we get back. We're here with Mike Wiesner, the chair for the Dark Sky Committee of Oracle State Park and retired fighter pilot. We're going to find out how high has he been, how fast has he gone, and what astronomy apps does he have on his phone. All when we get back right here at Rosie on the House. Let's do some stargazing together. Spending the first hour of Rosie on the House up in space with Mike Wiesner, the chair of the Oracle Dark Skies Committee. Mike, I want to I talk about how high you've been, how fast you've gone. But before we do, let's get back to next Saturday's party just for a minute. Sure. Do, do, the, do, the, do the people interested in attending need to make a reservation? No. The, um, the the star party is available to you know anybody who wants to come and visit. Um, there is a gate fee of seven dollars per vehicle, uh, or if they have an annual uh, park pass for Arizona State Parks, certainly they can come in. The park is available for people on on other nights if they want to bring their own telescopes out and set them up in a certain area. Uh, that is also available to people. We've had people. 
uh, call us and, and come out from many other states to do astrophotography from the park. And uh, so that's one of the nice things about having this International Dark Sky Park designation. You get the recognition of your uh, uh, availability and your night sky quality. And so that's really cool. Now, does it ruin the mood for a star party when 300 people show up and they're all using flashlights to get from one telescope to the next? Um, fortunately, uh, where the telescopes are, we usually have a little bit of red lighting, Great. Uh, which doesn't hurt your eye, okay. your dark adaptation. Uh, but you know, we occasionally see people, you know, with their bright car headlights <laughs> on, uh, pointing at the telescopes, um, in, in some improvements that we're going to be doing that state park systems is going to be doing at the park. Uh, we're hoping uh, with some money that the state legislature has provided to the park system uh, to improve the dark sky viewing areas uh, for things like star parties. So, and and how about is it okay to bring it, it's okay to bring a little ice chest for the kids and 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 oh, everybody absolutely. bring some Gatorades, cold drinks, um, sandwages, yeah. cookies. Yeah, absolutely. When we've had various kinds of star parties up at Oregon State Park, uh, we've had uh, live music, um, uh, you know, at sunset, which is always a big thrill for people. People get out and do dancing and whatnot. Um, and like I said, we've had guest speakers, but absolutely uh, picnicking is encouraged and certainly welcome. Uh, we've had catering for some events. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it can, it, it, it's a, it can be a really a fantastic thing. I, and many of the Arizona State Park systems do have star parties all around the state. I think the uh, North, so in the North Rim, in the Grand Canyon North Rim, having a star party this weekend? Yeah, they're just wrapping up their, uh, their big annual star party. Um, and uh, that's been a, a big event for them. I bet. And I should also point out that the Grand Canyon is also an international dark sky park, so. Now, I, I know Arizona pretty well, and it would seem to me the most logical state park in the entire state to be dark sky designated would be Alamo Lake. That has been discussed. Uh, I have talked with the executive director of Arizona State Park Systems many times. Uh, we After Oracle State Park became the first state park in the system to get designated, I, I really started pushing for to get other parks designated. Gardner Cavern State Park was designated last year. Okay. okay. Uh, and certainly Alamo Lake, Red Rock State Park, uh, and, and several others are certainly uh, capable of putting together the package and getting this designation. It does take some work, and you've got to have some you know, local people who want to get involved to help out. Okay. Uh, but it, 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 it is a process that can be accomplished. And there are now 100 international dark sky places around the world that the International Dark Sky Association is designated. So it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, Here in that's... Arizona, we have 15 dark sky places that have been designated. There are six communities, and there are nine parks uh, around the state that have been designated. And I should mention that just this year, up in your area in Phoenix, Fountain Hills received a designation as oh. an international dark sky community. All right. Well, Mike, in our last few minutes, I want to know, uh, as a retired fighter pilot, how high have you been, how fast have you gone, and what apps would you recommend for the amateur astronomer to download to their smartphone? Okay. Well, for the how high, let me let me give you a, a story that happened when I was doing my uh, A7 jet fighter training at Davis-Monson in Tucson back in 74. 
we were out on a night mission flying close formation. So I'm three feet away from this other airplane um, flying about 400 miles an hour. Check it and out. we're just sort of zooming around the sky up around 35,000 feet. And it's nice and dark. We're out over Tombstone, Arizona. Um, and it was just a beautiful night sky. And as we're maneuvering around, um, he sort of flies over above me. And I look past his airplane and I see the Milky Way. And immediately, I'm no longer on Earth. I'm out in space in a spaceship. Wow. That <laughs> was such a, a, a thrilling experience. I mean, it was just so awesome. What, what's, uh, so, what, what's the ceiling of a jet fighter? Jet fighters, can they're like airliners, you know, commercial airliners. Okay. So you can cruise at, you know, the 35,000 neighborhood. Okay. Right. I have been to 45,000 feet when I was in pilot training in a T-38. Um, so, and when you get up to about 45,000 feet, the, the daytime sky becomes a very nice dark blue. Uh, you can kind of see a hint of the earth's curvature oh, wow. at that altitude. So that's kind of cool. As far as how fast I have gone, yeah. uh, when I, uh, the T-38, uh, which I was an instructor pilot for teaching new pilots, how to be fighter pilots. Um, I, I have been supersonic many times in, in the T-38. So. Uh, that's kind of cool. Oh, man. And, yeah. As far as what apps I use on yeah. my iPhone, I have several astronomy-related apps, but, but there are two apps that I use most frequently. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's an app called Sky Safari. There's actually three versions. There's a basic version that's free for the iPhone and Android. Um, there's a plus version, and there's a pro version. I use the pro version. And it's got millions of stars in this database. It's got tons of information about the objects that you can find. And like you were saying, you can point your, your device up at the sky, and it'll show you actually what yeah. you're looking at. Okay, all right. Um, which, which is really cool. But in my case, what I use it for is it can actually control my telescope out in the observatory. So oh, I wow. can find an object on my iPhone and say, hey, telescope, show me this object. And it will slew the telescope over to that object. I mean, that's just so much fun. It's so awesome. <laughs> wow. The, the other app that I use is only available on the iPhone and iPad. It's called Nightcap Camera. It's a low-light application. And so I actually use it at the telescope and take pictures through the telescope with an iPhone. And the way this app works, it's so amazing that you can actually photograph some fairly faint objects through a telescope. So that's kind of a bit of fun. That is a blast. Well, Mike, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your personal weekend to share with us. And I have to tell you, you've just invited, I don't know how many will show up, but you've just invited about 70,000 homeowners to your party next weekend. We're looking forward to seeing them. <laughs> okay. Awesome, Mike. Thank, thanks a million. Oh, and and uh, a couple of let me just hit on a couple other things. You, we, I wanted to talk to you about astronomy, but you had an agenda. You also wanted to talk to the homeowners about night lighting, and I think that's critical for the Rosie on the House Home Improvement Show. So let's cover that. Okay, yeah, let's let's do talk about that. You know, when the International Dark Sky Association was created back thirty years ago, uh, its focus originally was what can uh, people do and governments do to protect all the professional observatories that were in Southern Arizona. 
There was a lot, you know, of influx in population, a lot of development going on in the Tucson area 30 years ago. And there was this recognition that astronomy is a big business in the state of Arizona. And so government and, and homeowners and business owners needed to do lighting properly so as to protect those businesses and protect the night skies. So that was sort of the impetus for the International Dark Sky Association three decades ago. Since then, they, I mean, that effort's been very successful, but since then, uh, there's been all this additional research about the harmful effects of all this lighting that we throw out into, this, in, into the night. Um, many times that lighting is not needed. Uh, many times it's aimed up into the sky, which isn't doing you a bit of good when you're trying to see where you're walking and not tripping over something or stepping on an animal or, or a snake or something. Um, and... Uh, so there's been all this extra research now over the last several decades to point out there's all these harmful effects, not just to animals uh, who have, like humans, evolved with a day-night cycle, uh, where things they want to do at night get interrupted by all this brightness on the ground. Uh, but we're now learning uh, through medical research there's a lot of harmful effects on us as humans. Many of the cancers, uh, turns out, have some connections to all this lighting at night that we're using. Uh, wow. Not just you know, <laughs> street lights or, or pathway lights or driveway lights or backyard lights. You know, now we're learning about you know, using your, your phones and your pa- tablets uh, with all that blue light coming off of them. That's, harm- that's actually harming us as humans. Um, but then you look at the energy waste. If you're shining your lights up into the sky so the astronauts on the space station can see your city, that's a waste of energy and a waste of money. In the United States alone, we waste $3 billion a year for unnecessary lighting, and that's just totally ridiculous. So for the homeowners who are thinking about upgrading their lighting – uh, whether they want to light up their driveway, their pathway, their backyard, it's really useful to think about where that light is going uh, and who can see the light. Now, if you're wanting to light up your own property, that's fine and dandy, but you know your neighbors probably don't want that light shining into their bedrooms. Uh, so if your light is crossing the street or if it's crossing your fence line, uh, that's considered light trespass, light nuisance, and it's kind of ridiculous that you're spending your money to light up their property. Uh, so it's something to think about when homeowners and even business owners are out installing new lighting. Shield the lighting so that it's not shining beyond your property line. Um, aim it so that the bulbs are not visible from you know the street. Uh, you don't want people to be blinded by your bright floodlights lighting up your driveway um, when they're driving down the street. That becomes a safety hazard. Light, one light problems, trespassing. Yeah. That, that's a new one for me. Light trespassing. That's we, new to me, we, too. We, call, yeah. we always call them glare bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you think about it, we know how to see at night, just like animals know how to see at night. You can actually see better with minimal lighting Versus what you can see with the very bright lighting. Yeah. And you can demonstrate that to yourself just by walking around in some of the neighborhoods. Uh, you step into a shadow area, you can see better. Well, Mike, I think. Th- you can when you're. 
Yeah. Hey, I I can't thank you enough for joining us this seven o'clock a.m. It, it's the Arizona People, Places, and Things hour of Rosie on House. We're gonna need to take a break, but thanks a million for joining us. We've been we've been dragging high and low for astrophysicists, and there's two topics we didn't even get to. I want somebody to explain gravity to me and what's dark matter. Maybe next time when we get you on air. <laughs> Super. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks a million. We'll be right back, y'all. Talking night sky this hour at Rosie on the House. Great conversation with Mike Wiesner. Calling in from Oral Valley, the chair of the Oracle State Park Dark Sky Committee. I want y'all to know that they've got a party next weekend that you can go to. And and the great thing about being able to get to these dark sky parties is you've got all the astronomy clubs there with extra telescopes set up and people to answer questions and show you what you're looking at and explain to you what you're looking at. And the, and the, that's down just north of Tucson, all right? No reservations required. You might want to book a room down there close to the area and get in there. I, I meant to ask him how late at night do they stay out there. But I'll tell you another opportunity for those of you up in the Phoenix area. The Dolly Steamboat Cruise is next Saturday night with Dr. Sky. And if you haven't done that, it's absolutely a fabulous family event where you meet Dr. Sky at the Dolly Steamboat on Canyon Lake. And you launch just about sunset, and he has these absolutely, unbelievably, incredibly powerful laser flashlights. And he stands on the front of the boat and mingles with everybody and has you looking out the windows as he points to all the different things you can see and then you have your choice of a beef or chicken dinner that they serve you as you cruise the lake. We did it a couple years ago and invited the Rosie on the House listeners, and we filled the entire boat. And there were lots of kids involved, which I especially love to see. And as we rounded the main lake area into one of the tributary arms, the captain of the boat said, on your right, port side. Seven o'clock, and there was a small herd of bighorn sheep making their way down the cliffs to the water. It was just one of those extra spectacular things that uh, you just never forget. So if you're interested in that in the Phoenix area for a, a, a night viewing sky opportunity, get to dollysteamboat.com and book your dinner cruise for next Saturday night, June 30th. State Parks has the the parties going on at many of the parks. It's at Oracle State Park again next Saturday. All right. Now, for those of you that watch the calendar, did you have something, Gary? No, I'm I'm following you on this. (laughs) For those of you that are watching our calendar really, really close and have been longtime listeners of ours, you have caught on. We have already drawn... The, Ju- the June winner, right? You're drawn the July winner. Right. Okay, yeah. Uh, now, if you want 
to enter by July 15th, you will win a staycation to Heber, and you will stay at Bison Ranch. And that's the same place we're having the Crawfish Festival. Yes, sir. Huh? Mm-hmm. So you could kind of, I think, dial this down and dial this in. The uh, we, we don't have anything to do with the Crawfish Festival anymore. We, we just couldn't give it the attention it needed. And so my niece married a Cajun from Baton Rouge. And they moved to Sholo. She's a nurse at the hospital. And so Calvin and Sonia have taken over the Crawfish Festival. But they are going to have it. I believe it's the last weekend in July at Bison Ranch. And and I know we have a lot of displaced Louisianian Saints fans. I'm on a (laughs) a Facebook page and I actually posted the Crawfish Boil. Uh, It's July, last Saturday in July. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. I finally went to one last year because uh, Romy had told me, he said, well, I guess you get the crawfish flown in from Louisiana. He said, oh, no, no, we catch them in the lakes in Arizona. And that got my attention. Yeah. So you get a mix of both. And I tell you what, it tastes just as good. Yeah. Mm. I, uh, we started that as a favor to Arizona Game and Fish to start eradicating the crawfish out of the Arizona waterways. And and we, we cook about 2,000 pounds of native caught crawfish every year and i can't tell the difference that's a lot of crawfish yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's only one place to register for your staycation and that's at rosieonthehouse.com and we'd like to thank sanderson ford for being the original uh and ongoing sponsor for that if you win a staycation you get to go to sanderson ford and pick out whatever car they have on the demo lot and take it with you. Jennifer arranges to pay for the gas. We arrange for your lodging. Go to rosieonthehouse.com and register now for the Arizona Staycation. We've got the Urban Farmer coming up next hour with Romy. Stay tuned.